0: Our This Week in XR podcast is sponsored by our friends at Zapper, the world's leading augmented reality platform and creative studio. With over 11 years of experience working with the world's biggest brands through Zapper Creative Studio. Zapper also has an award-winning web AR platform, Zapworks, that lets you create your own mobile AR magic. Finally, check out their Zap Box, the most affordable mixed reality headset on the planet. Start creating AR over at zap.works or talk to them about your next AR project at zapper.com. Good morning, everybody. I'm Charlie Fink with Ted Shilowitz and Rony Abovitz for This Week in XR. It's Friday the 13th, 2023. Uh, I'm still recovering from CES. As you can tell from my scratchy, nasally voice, I've got a cold. I guess that one was, this one, it's not COVID, although I test my, you know, the minute you get sick today, you're like, I've got COVID. It really was a super spreader. But no, I've got a cold probably because I'm really tired and it's, the weather isn't great here. Anyway, great to see you guys. Uh, this is our first real show of 2023, partly because Roni is with us and partly because CES really is in the rearview mirror now and we can start to talk about other things. How you guys doing this morning?
1: We're Good. Uh, Charlie, you and I have seen each other a lot over the last uh, 10 days. Uh, my know. voice is still uh, a little <laughs> froggy and scratchy. But again, I don't have COVID. I just have <laughs> you know, whatever you get when you wander around a trade show with 200,000 of your best friend for, for 10 days. People so, were shaking hands.
2: So I was surprised at that. Yeah, oh, they're, they're yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Honey, lemon, ginger, tea for both of exactly. you guys. Yeah, yeah, that's oh, the recipe yeah that's
0: actually a pretty great idea it sounds really good right that. now
2: You're You're all do. the homeopathic
0: stuff and so yeah. we've got a great guest today uh jerry ellsworth of tilt five is going to be joining us uh we'll talk more about tilt five in uh, a minute but jerry is legendary uh and and a good friend of ronnie's in fact so um it's going to be a fantastic conversation uh so stick around we're going to blab about uh tech for a few minutes here uh yeah i, Star- saw, I
1: saw jerry's um um contraption at uh, CES at Eureka Park they were they were uh, demonstrating it and it's uh, you know making progress which is very exciting
0: i was so overwhelmed at CES i kept getting interrupted when i wanted to go to Eureka Park so i didn't even see them there i saw them at AWE and uh, again i didn't want to get too deeply into this because we've got other news coming up but the idea of ar tabletop gaming is very powerful right mm-hmm. and she it's made You know, it's purpose built for that application. Absolutely. So I I think that uh, they are onto something. I think that board games, uh, you know, I think a lot of people would be excited to have that revitalized, Uh, even people who are not XR people. It's, uh, you know, old fashioned way of people being together.
1: Agreed. We'll talk more about it.
0: No. So so let's uh, let's talk about, uh, you know, I was talking about screen reflectors and the sort of theme of optical companies and other companies making much simpler AR devices, if we can call it that. It's assisted reality, not augmented reality, the way we're usually talking about spatial computing. Uh, but it's a very simple application that I think may catch on. And there's evidence of it just came out. Nreal sold uh, 100,000 real Airs, on Amazon in December, uh, they are surprised. They had no idea it would catch on that quickly. You know, so, and, you- and other companies like TCL are coming out with similar devices, similarly priced, $300-ish. Uh, so XR is a smartphone accessory. Who knew? When you hit the right price point with
1: something that has an interesting sort of sense of desirability, right? You're talking about devices that are typically sub- Five hundred dollars in some cases, sub four hundred dollars, um, and you know these are fairly simplistic devices using primarily birdbath optics. So the thickness of the device is about you know like this. Um, uh, they're a little heavy, they're a little clunky, but they kind of feel like glasses. Charlie, I've got four or five pairs of them sitting here. <laughs> You've got four or five pairs of them, um, and you know I use them sometimes. I use them as a as a screen extender, and you know we've been talking about it on the podcast for probably uh, going on years now that the first real application for this stuff is not this hyper sophisticated requiring cameras, requiring sensors, requiring all this stuff. It's just get the optics right, get the resolution right, get it comfortable enough, which by the way is still not there. None of these things are comfortable enough yet um, to really feel like glasses that you want to wear for an extraordinary extended period of time, but they're getting close enough that they will sell in those kind of numbers and people are willing to explore and And test them out, you know, so that's a good sign, I think. There's potential here to sell millions
0: of these things.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, that that's it's on its way to proving that people um, will start to develop their muscle uh, to use a head worn display as opposed to a holdable display. You know, that sort of evolution of, well, our eyes are here. Our eyes are not in our hands. So if we can get the device to make sense on our eyes, which is something that Roni was, you know, working on and professing for a number of years as well, then it will make enough sense that people will buy them. And that is a logical conclusion. So you're starting to see, you know, the commercialization of that logical conclusion, which I think is a good step for all of us.
0: What do you think, Rony? would you have predicted this?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's like the, this is like the Palm Pilot Trio phase where mm-hmm. you have these like intermediate steps that are not the thing that ultimately really scales, but there's like this interesting volume to be had along the way, um, but then then ultimately it all becomes integrated into something which is sort of the end game. So I feel like there's companies that are gonna take advantage of the intermediary steps and say, I'm gonna go for form factor, I'm gonna go for function, I'm gonna go for graphics resolution, but in the end on something like our phones, we get them all, right? I don't need to buy a Palm Pilot today because my phone does a hundred virtual, thousands of virtualized other devices that were existing on the road to like the best Android phones and the best iPhones. So I feel like all of these are quick stops along the way to the end game. Um, And the question is like, do some of those companies find a way to pivot to maturing to that end game? And it's possible, you know, like, but it's not the, it's sort of like a, it's a rest stop on the way. That's how I think of it. Like, I can't see anyone buying these things uh, you know, five, six, seven years from now, when right, it gets lighter, smaller, that consolidates all the pieces. So it's sort of, you know, there's the road up the mountain, and then there's like these tangents, but I think these tangents give people a taste of pieces of it along the way, and that's where the value is. Like the Palm Pilot had value for, for its time. Yeah, totally. Agree.
0: So Uh, Interesting news broke right on the eve of CES. We haven't talked about it much, but it was this massive, massive leak, uh, leak about the new Apple headset to the information. And of course, everybody covers the coverage in the information. But then Bloomberg chimed in, and Bloomberg has been a very keen follower of Apple and has analysts focused on it exclusively. And then they picked up the drumbeat. So this is not this was not there was so much detail in this leak that I don't think it it I think it's the real deal. And what's more I suspect that Apple had something to do with the accidentally on purpose leak because it was of the timing of it right on the Monday of, of CES. Uh, so Apple found a way of dominating CES even without being at CES.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, all I can say on that sort of front, Charlie, is leave it to Apple to make more news than anybody that shows off at CES by not showing off at CES, right? <laughs> and, 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 and Apple has a long history of making noise by not making noise uh so it's a it's an interesting trend yeah so if they're making noise
0: something must be up
1: well something's definitely up uh but you know the i all i can say is i just would not put a tremendous amount of stock in the information or bloomberg or anybody else that is reporting about this i just i simply would not
2: I would agree with Ted, that I would totally agree with you because having been on the other side of, of, you know, reporting, which is completely wrong sometimes, like, you know, you, you get excited, but some of the sources that you're talking about, um, I've been on the other side of it and like, you know, there's maybe 10%, 20% correct and 80% just noise and nonsense. So I think you got to sift that out, but I think what is true. Uh, and I think all of us have our own anecdotal insights into what's going on something is afoot but there was also something afoot with them building an electric car and there was a ton of noise around that so it's possible (laughs) they never ship anything
1: Right. right i think
2: we should say that here like they i think they are testing but it is very possible that if they don't get to a level where they feel it hits the bar they need to be at which is probably the highest bar above all other companies in the world right now they may they may pull the plug and not ship until it's at that bar, yeah. And that may disappoint tons of people, but that's why they're not saying anything.
0: So, last story before we bring Jerry in, uh, a new company, Inner Cosmos, came out of stealth. It is founded by Marin Gribbets who created the original Meta, and this company is skip in the eyes. <laughs> it's going straight to the brain. And, and let me describe for a second what they've got. It's a little. A wafer that looks like a, uh, you know, a tiny little bat- flat battery. And it's they make a tiny incision um, behind the ear, and they just slip it in as if it were a uh, ocular implant, or or whatever they call that. But um, they raised 10 million dollars, they just came out of stealth yesterday. And the thing is charged and read by an external kind of magnet that sits on top of it ostensibly it's held in hair in place by just sort of sitting on your hair uh, i guess in my case there'd be tape or something uh, but it's supposed to treat severe uh, depression and they've been testing it on people and it's really working yeah. so these are people who cannot be treated pharmaceutically so and a lot of them are are in real trouble um, you know their lives are in danger so uh, you know, this potentially is, is a game-changing tool for uh, psychiatry and and possibly the beginning, as he suggests, in uh, all sorts of cognitive therapies.
2: Well, Charlie, he's in the same game as Precision Neuro, which is a Boston company. One of the co-founders of Neuralink, uh, who I met, um, did Precision Neuro in Boston. And then there's Neuralink, which is Elon Musk's famous uh, brain-computer interface, and Marone's company here is is also in that game. And it's quite interesting because. Um, Uh, the implications of it working are way more profound than it, let's say, failing. Let's say it really does work. What does it do to the pharmaceutical industry? What does it do to um, being able to change someone's personality, mood, neurologic disorders with software on demand in terms of like, you know, adherence to protocol, but all the positives that come out of that. But also there's a lot of weird negatives. Like you can implant something and change your personality, change your mood, it's a very interesting weird brave new world this is opening up
1: yeah charlie you uh you you, you got the terminology you just missed one letter it's a cochlear implant Cochlear. C implant. Implant, thank you Ted. which is what you're thinking about and that's <clears throat> uh for people that have various forms of hearing loss very severe hearing loss there's a surgical procedure that they can do that restores some of their hearing and it is it is in some cases miraculous to those people um so there is precedent for this uh, but what Roni is bringing up is, of course, the most interesting part of it is the 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 general in big quotes what could possibly go wrong scenario, right? When um, when you're you're talking about you know putting something in like we we know and and for for many many years now generations uh, surgeons have had recognized recognizing that they can stimulate various parts of the brains with low levels of electricity and actually change people's moods and make them do things. Um, which in the most positive, um, optimistic ways, is fantastic, right? People that really struggle with depression and various forms of schizophrenia and things that are very severe. And if we can solve that um, with a different form of, of technological advancement other than drug therapy, good on them, right? But of course, the risk is the ethics and the challenges of what if it goes wrong? What if it gets in the wrong hands? How, how do we
2: prevent that? It's, it's a big, and Ted, it's a big challenge. And I've got to connect this. I've got to connect this back to XR because we're we're the XR guys. Yeah. There, so, but um, there there's all the treatment side, right, for all the different kinds of neurologic uh, psychiatric disorders, which is immensely promising. But then there's the other side, which is is there a world where people want to implant these things as a way of stimulating the brain in a very focal and direct manner in conjunction with something like XR? Yeah. So you can feel things and hear things. I mean, that's going to become very, very interesting. But there's no doubt going to be some cohort that wants the full experience. And now we're starting to really walk into the matrix. I said we made we made movies that that show this dark corner of the universe, and we have. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, you can see people today are are isolated and often unhappy, and you could see it as a mood regulator for normal people. Yeah. And of Johnny course, the chaotic, implications you know, of that. Of, of, really oh we'll happen. make you happy and we'll also reprogram a few other things we don't like
2: <laughs> well i think the the guardrail and this is uh marone's a friend so this is a this is like a, just a public way to say this i think a guardrail is focus on the very difficult to treat depression ocd schizophrenia that that you know pharmaceuticals have not had the greatest track record over the last hundred years but something like this that really treats those disorders and Gives people this like road back to good daily function, that would be a miracle. And Absolutely. if only does that, that's gigantic. Absolutely, all the, the matrix stuff yeah. like that's like you know you could put that and not never go there. If you just make that thing happen, it would be such a such an amazing um, positive on society.
1: Yeah, I have very high hopes for this, but also a lot of trepidation. Like it's it's a very interesting uh, dynamic. Um, By the way, before we before we get to Jerry, I want to ask Roni about his opinion, Charlie, about Ant AR, this Chinese company that has developed these ultra thin waveguide optics and you know we've been watching them for years they've shown up at AWE for years they're very much sort of Kickstarter culture which we kind of you know love and hate in various ways, Um, but this year they really showed up and. It was kind of remarkable how good it was. I
0: was completely s- taken by surprise. Right? We were one we of the most the impressive reaction, things. Right? One of the most impressive things I saw at the show. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, I know you weren't at CES in person, Roni, but it was, we I'm were impressed.
2: Here, here's what I would say. Um, uh, just very, very quick background. The U.S. has maybe three to five completely world-class optics engineering colleges and, and parts of universities like University of Arizona, Rochester, a couple others, right? University of Central Florida. These are like truly world class. And you ask the question: how many world-class optics colleges and universities are in China? Hundreds.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: They they outgun us on so many levels in optics engineering and they output so many brilliant PhDs that I think we're going to see um, just the whole plethora of startups from China in space because they have the talent graduating, they have the focus as a country on putting people into optics, we, we don't. Um, and they have such an amazing manufacturing supply chain base at a cost structure where they could start spinning these things up at such scale. Like I think they'll throw so many things at the wall that they're going to be incredibly competitive in the space. Mm-hmm. It's taken them a little bit of time, but I think this is an indicator of like the strength China brings to optics engineering, it's gonna, that it has in Silicon right now. That the US is really needing to get going. But like we're so far behind actually on optics. It's it's really scary because we're just not outputting uh, the kids out of the PhD programs. They're just coming out of trickle, and China's just out outperforming us by such a wide margin. And what's amazing is in China, it's like more women graduating <clears throat> with PhDs in optic engineering than men. So they they're equal on gender. So there's just like such a wide cohort. There's not the same bias like you have in this country. So anyway, I just took a moment to talk about like what the pipeline is, why companies like this are happening and why it is impressive, because there's such a structural pipeline in the country to promote men and women equally through super high level technical education. And it's probably a signal to the US, like we really have got to figure out STEM and we've got to make it equally appealing for women to stay in engineering, which is a great prelude to someone like Jerry. Who should not be a rarity in, in 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 america but unfortunately she is right well, let's, well, the probability that it.
1: was for sure we saw it charlie and i saw it and we were deeply impressed so.
0: i i've never really looked through a piece of glass that was completely filled with an image like 120 degrees mm-hmm. I, I was just like mm, your <laughs> mm, wow i
1: was it's just like is this a trick
0: yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. i <laughs> have interested it's really cool Keep a close eye on these guys. That's yeah. all I can say.
0: So let's bring in Jerry, who is somebody else to keep a close eye. Close on. eye on,
1: yeah, absolutely.
0: And also one of the leading engineers in our field, Jerry.
3: Hey, how are you? Welcome, Welcome back. Woo, it's great to be back.
1: Look at that classic CRT behind you. That is a very impressive piece of
0: hardware.
3: <laughs> yeah, and a Commodore sixty four. Love it. it. All
0: yeah. right, I love it. Does it still work?
3: Of course it does. <laughs> of course it does. I, uh, well taken care of. I keep it uh, finely tuned and oiled up and ready to go at any moment. It. You never I'm... know when you need to play mule. That's right. <laughs>
1: you never know when you got to go back a few
3: generations. It's good. That's right. How, is, how is
0: your CES? I hear your booth was mobbed nonstop.
3: Well, it, we didn't have a booth. Um, we were make, uh, doing meetings. However, whenever I walked through the hall, people would like grab me and I'd have to set up. They're like, till five. <laughs> <laughs> it was amazing. Uh, there the was last... a group at Eureka
1: Park that was showing it off, that was that was demonstrating it. Um, oh, maybe, oh you, didn't, you might not I, even, yeah. didn't it, even know about it.
3: I didn't even know about it. There was a like group I there have... that
1: was demonstrating with your glasses and the wand. Uh, essentially you get to be Godzilla. You get to like move the (laughs) wand around and just, it was like a layout of kind of a Google map thing with a bunch of buildings and you just move the wand around and and mash up all the buildings. So you kind of- Oh, that's amazing. Great thing is Godzilla. It was very fun.
3: Yeah, it's great. We're shipping so many units that, you know, it just pops up all the time. We just show up at an event and there's like two or three people using our system, so. Good sign. Yeah.
0: How many games do you have now?
3: Uh, I think on our website, we're getting close to uh, 30. We have um, upwards of 60 in the pipeline right now that are um, wow. on the way. So yeah, across the board, a bunch of different um, kind of genres of games like puzzle games, action games, RTSs, t- virtual tabletop simulators, if you're into D&D and role-playing, um, map creators, um, art tools. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. Uh, see all this content start to come and it's coming organically now which is cool in the early days we had to kind of be out there and and seed every bit of it
1: right now you have like a little developer community that's starting to build things on your platform and and bring games to it um, and starting to see an ecosystem yet or is that not quite yet? yeah
3: this is the exciting flywheel that we were hoping for right that you know you all of a sudden, there's a Godzilla game or, or a thing, and we didn't even know that it was in development. So that's happening yeah. on a weekly basis. Just people show up, like, "Hey, I I built a thing," or "I brought our existing game over," and we're like, "Yeah." Yeah, that's
1: cool. What is the what is the preferred build tool? Is it Unity or is it something else that uh, most people are building on?
3: Oh, there's three ways you can use our system. Um, so we support Unity and Unreal. Those are probably the two easiest ways to get into it. Then we have a, a native. Um, interface. So if you have a standalone application um, and you you know know how to deal with uh, textures and stuff and get them into our NDK, you can um, build applications that way. Um, We just released our first uh, Android support this month. So we'll start to see um, Android um, applications coming. So elaborate
1: on that. When you say Android applications, meaning stuff that is on a phone that then can play in your system, is that what you're talking about?
3: Yeah. So our system, you can just plug it into phones. You can plug it into uh, laptops and you can run your applications there. You can also do development on laptops. Yeah. That's one of the, you asked about development. That's one of the beauties of our system. We have real-time editing in our SDK. So in Unity, you drag things around on the screen. You just look over when you're wearing the glasses and it's happening in real time, speeds things up.
2: Jerry, what's the, what's the most Primitive computer, oldest computer you've got Tilt-5 running on.
3: It's probably the one I use at home all the time, which is, uh, I don't know, it's probably like five years old and it has built-in Intel graphics. Um, It's pretty, pretty low end. Um, However, saying that, this really old kind of netbooky thing, um, you can't run more than one uh, pair of glasses on it, but any like fairly modern laptop, you can go up to four easily.
0: But no, no Apple, right? Just um, PC right now.
3: <laughs> well, no official announce of Apple. But um one of our developers or one of our engineers over the weekend um, a few months ago, she's like, "Oops, I accidentally added Mac support. she she's a Mac. she develops on a Mac, so she just made it happen. But so we're now now we're trying to figure out how do we roll that out and support it because it's kind of a niche you know audience. And there's not a lot of games there. It'd be mostly for developers, I would imagine. We also support Linux as well. You know, caveat of, you know, there's so many flavors of Linux. There may be, your results may vary if you don't have like the right build or distro of of Linux.
1: Yeah, it's something we talk about all the time. It is sort of the one sector and the one area that Apple has really, uh, at least not, you know, vertically within themselves succeeded at, right, is gaming. In fact, at, uh, at Eureka Park, they have this very cool exhibit called like the the Wall of Shame or the Wall of Failure or something like that. And one of the devices they show is the infamous Apple Pippin, which I sent uh, oh. lady, uh, Charlie a picture of, um, which, of course, all of us remember, but nobody else remembers the Apple Pippin, which was their gaming system that Maybe. I'm sure Tim
2: Cook's happy that you're bringing
1: it up right
0: now. Ted.
1: <laughs> yeah. uh, but so, our, so interesting. Right
2: after Ted said it may never ship.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. But it's also so interesting that, you know, on on everyone's Apple devices, there are millions of games that, you know, play in their ecosystem. Yeah that they don't have to develop themselves that, you know, generate huge amounts of profit for Apple. So it's it's kind of a, you know, it's like, it's a fascinating story of Apple succeeding, even when they can't succeed in a sector, they still succeed in a sector. Well, that's what
3: you want. It goes back to that flywheel of developers. Um, Once you enable them, then they can go and create their own applications. You know, and Apple succeeded very well at that, which is amazing. I, you know, here's a quick story. Um, at my office, it's like a museum. Every room is dedicated to companies we admire. So there's an Atari room, there's a Sega room, a Nintendo room, but in my office, I have glass cabinets set up and I have them themed and I have cabinets of commercial failures. And I've mm-hmm. been looking for a Pippin to <laughs> add really in hard there. To find. <laughs> I got to add Stadia a few weeks ago. Uh, Stadia, yeah, go. Joins, joins the club, exactly. But I, I find like the failures just as important as the successful yeah, products. Yeah. So and I like to pair the them
1: shield up. And all kinds of things yeah. that belong in there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs>
0: do, you, do you have a uh, general magic communicator?
3: No, no. That's probably <laughs> above my price point of what I can pay for. <laughs> yeah, that is stuff. the
0: ultimate collectible, right?
1: Yeah.
3: What a fantastic documentary. Yeah. Well, oh, so, so much yeah. to learn. We had, we
0: had Sarah Kurish the uh, filmmaker yeah. on the show two years ago. Oh. Uh, so Jeez. that everyone
3: should go check that documentary yes.
0: out. It's amazing. Oh. It's a, the story of a the greatest company in Silicon Valley you've never heard of, mm-hmm. but in the early nineties they were white hot,
3: mm-hmm.
0: and um, the CEO um, Mark Porat was speaking everywhere. Goldman conference everywhere, and they had the first concept IPO. Yeah. Right, they didn't have a product. All they did was lose money, and they raised, I think, like seventy-five million dollars in an IPO, which at the time was an insane amount of money.
1: Yeah.
0: And then, of course, the communicator came, communicator came out, and while it was a wonderful device, it only communicated with other communicators. And it's a classic
3: th- story of timing, though, right? Yes. You know, they just yes of got, course. Yeah. Ate alive by. You, you can't
0: know. sell a smartphone to somebody who's never used a cell phone.
3: Changing users' behavior. You know, it's one of the things, you know, we talk about all the time. And I think that's why our product resonates so well. It's like, we didn't try to boil the ocean. It's just like, we want to do one thing really well. That's play games in the living room with friends and family. And we optimized everything around that. And the communicator is an example of amazing device, but like, how do you onboard the customer the first time when they've never seen anything like that?
0: One of the funny things of the documentary is they showed some old man in the street interviews from the early nineties uh, asking people if they wanted a cell phone. And there was this one lady who was like, you mean that I could be found anywhere at all times? I don't know if I want that. That's kind of, <laughs> that's kind of weird. You mean I'm on my way to work and people can can interrupt me. So and it's funny because now we live in, in a world where we're constantly interrupting ourselves by looking at devices.
3: Yeah, there's some serious mental health issues with that too, a lot of studies. It's not good for your well-being and mental health. And we've been drawn into these highly engineered devices that get you endlessly scrolling and addicted to it. Uh, I'm guilty of it too. Jerry,
2: a couple of questions for you. One, um, when you were starting Tilt 5, one of the things, if you're out of our many tens of millions of viewers and audience to this <laughs> podcast, um, uh, if you're not familiar, it might be good to explain sort of what the design is. But I thought it was super interesting. Like the amount of design paths to build XR, many of them are incredibly costly. You figured out one which has a, a really good um, experience with with a price point and with the ability to build it that's sort of like really unique and standing out. And you flip the projector outward. So what was that? What was that thought process? That then I got a second one for you after that.
3: Oh, okay. It was actually a complete accident. Uh, So I was working at Valve Software at the time. Uh, We were trying to do near-eye optics um, like every other AR device out there. And we were bumping up against, you know, limits of physics and difficulties and how do you get a form factor and a price point that can be consumer grade. That was our mission there. And one day I was working in the optical lab and I was trying to do a near-eye display and I put an optical component in backwards and it projected an image out into into the lab and one of my colleagues had been using this special reflective material called a retro reflector and when I looked through the system I saw this like beautiful image like 30 feet away from me and I'm like huh that's interesting like so weird and then I went back to my you know I flipped the optical component back around and kept on my my way and I months and months went by and it was almost like one of those shower moments you're in the shower I don't know where it happened but I was just like wait a minute, you know, the problem is we don't have enough distance to the eye to do everything we need to do. That weird effect I saw, why don't I just flip everything inside out? And now we have something that you just roll this thing that looks like a game board out on the, the table and negative holograms pop out of it. And so I developed it a little bit there at Valve Software. Valve decided to go down the hardcore VR path and I ended up buying this optical technique from valve and then refined it over the years and at tilt five uh when we formed the company that was my second startup in the ar space um you always have to like face plant your first startup um as they say i don't know (laughs) roni maybe you have too but um uh so we we stopped before we started the company and we're like well that really sucked um how we kind of botched the last attempt and it's like how can we avoid that and it's It's kind of interesting. I worked in the toy industry and consumer products for years and all of my mentors had beat it into my head like what you're supposed to do, but I'd gotten drunk on uh, VC money, I guess, at my previous startup and forgot everything I'd learned in the past. And it's like, identify your audience, identify a problem to solve. do all your personas and completely understand your audience and then put the features into the product. And so that's what we did before we even picked up a soldering iron and started working on prototype one. It's like, we understood everything, the price point we had to get the unit economics, and then we started adding features to it. And that's worked out really well. So it's allowed us to make a, a product that, you know, The first unit you buy is $359 and every pair of glasses and wand you add to it's 300 bucks. It's within consumer price point, uses this clever optics. It led us down this path of um, some processing we could do in the headset that lets us um, interpolate all of the um, frames coming from the game so that games don't have to run at a crazy high frame rate. We just interpolate between them. So it's always a great user experience allows us to run on phones. And just starting with that fundamental, like what the hell are we doing thing and clarifying that. And then just laser focus executing on that led us to a, a product that resonates. Yeah, you know, In fact, a CES story, I was last few minutes at CES, I was walking out the door and um, a reporter from the from Popular Mechanics heard that I was there and was chasing, just trying to find me apparently. And caught up with me at the front door. It's like, I gotta take a look at this. And so we rolled the game board out, we played it, and we got a best of CES from Popular Mechanics. It was just like we didn't go there intending to like, you know, spend a lot of effort demonstrating. Those are the best Jerry,
1: stories. Yeah, that's
3: great. Jerry, the
2: part two is if um, let's say some really intelligent investors listening to the podcast go, all right, we're gonna, we're gonna fund, you know. Properly fund Tilt 5 all the way. What is Tilt 5 2030 look like? What's happened?
3: Oh, 2030, you know, yep,
2: seven well, years. We
3: never, um, we never stop innovating around here. We have, we probably have 20 generations of ideas that we want to do. So our vision of um, how this is going to go, it's like, we focus on the table, it's going to go to the room and then it's going to go world scale. So, mm. you know, you know, there's a a constant evolution. We know a path that direction. So, you know, there's a lot of exciting different verticals that we're going to go into over time. So, you know, internally, one of our um, kind of mantras is 120 million units. So, you know, we we picked 120 million units because we want to be on par with Nintendo. We admire them so much you know, and that's, they hold records for units sold. So we want to do like 1 million more than they did. (laughs) Only out of admiration, it's not competition. But you bring up fundraising. It has been brutal for us. You know, female founders don't get, you know, the same breaks male founders get. Only 2% of money go to female founders. Wow. You know, the 7 million um, that we raised, I mean, arguably we've done, amazing things on a a small team and we've had to scrape for every penny we've got and it's a super compelling product and it's always it's always a struggle for us to raise money even though we go in we pitch and they're like this is the best AR I've ever seen by far and then you know and we have all the projections up and to the right and it's going to be worth billions of dollars and still it's not easy for us. Jerry,
2: when I look at what um, some of the biggest companies in the world have done with 10 to $15 billion per year, and what you've done with like under 10 million, your your output innovation ratio is so many multiples order magnitude better than than those 10. <laughs> I, Thanks I for recognizing that.
3: that.
0: <laughs> like, no, I, it, like
2: if you actually see what they've done from the journey, it's like someone gave you hundreds of millions of dollars. People have no idea. How little funding you've had—it's—it's it's patently unfair. It's like we should just say that really out loud. It's like, um,
3: well, Jerry's for literally one of the best that.
2: hardware engineers in the United States. Uh, like, I'm just—I'm just saying that because more like, hearts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're doing the no, but seriously, like the the bias in the venture world is really gross, and uh, I think Tilt Five is an example of a brilliant team and facing that wall, and maybe our podcast will.
3: I feel very fortunate about our team and our current investors. Um, you know, our team worked so hard, so hard, and I we cherry picked them. These are all product people. We all have a mission that we understand. You can ask anyone, even you know, someone at the front desk that's not doing engineering. Like, what's our mission? What are we on? And anyone can recite it back. And that's that's always been important. I've seen in startups I worked at in the past. If if there's not a coherent uh, mission and everyone can re- recite it. You're kind of in trouble.
0: So you mentioned um that it works with smartphones. So is there a pass-through element? Can you use a VR headset and use its pass through, for example?
3: I don't quite understand your question on that.
0: you you mentioned smartphones. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. presumably smartphones are showing your augmented reality through their screen as a pass-through, right? See through oh, so pass through the screen.
3: So there's two things. So um, we have our headset. So you just slip on these lightweight headset. You plug it into your phone, you launch your game and it's sh- your holographic game shows up. On oh, the table. I see.
0: So you use the, um, the, the phone as, as the processor. Uh, However,
3: like- we have a really cool tool. We partnered with um, Mixcast me to add the ability to stream your games. So this has been super valuable for our developers and customers to share their experience. So. You can use, say, your cell phone camera or a webcam hooked up to your laptop, and you just put it off to the side of the the table as you're playing the game, and you can stream it out to TikTok and Twitch, and it does all the compositing and puts all the graphics exactly as you would see it, and that's been the best way for us to communicate what is the experience look like, and anybody can just do it. Just by clicking a button.
1: Is there a certain software that you particularly like to do that? There's a number of companies that do it, but you, did you mention? Uh, did you mention one that you think MixCast. mixcast? Mixcast.
3: Yeah. yeah, it's it's free to get started, and they yeah. have premium features and stuff like that. If you're a pro streamer, yeah, it's
1: a cool. Yeah, it's a cool way to be able to demonstrate what people are doing inside some sort of wearable.
3: I brand. have been in love with artists that have been using our system. So there's a regular crew that use. Um, It's a tool called Figment XR, which lets you draw and bring in 3D models. You can actually even create games and stuff in it if you want. Um, Another great founder, yeah. He's amazing, Javier. Um, But there's these artists that just get on Twitch and they spend hours and hours wearing our system. And they just sit there and they collaborate and they draw and and you know, seeing users wearing an XR headset for hours is really cool. Like it's one of those things that for years we've been struggling to like, how do you get people to use it for hours? And it takes, a, there's a lot of human factors that have to be kind of right for that to, to make it work.
2: Jerry, how is the magic, the gathering, you know, the D&D crowd reacting to this? Because it seems like to some extent a godsend for that group. You know, they're doing tabletop gaming, they've got their cards. It feels like, you know, if you love that, this is such a perfect mix for them. I mean, how, how is that group, or are, are they waiting for someone to build or port their games into Tilt 5?
3: Yeah, we've been seeing folks doing D&D sessions with our system using a tool called Battle Map Studio. So this is a pretty cool tool. Um, it, you can procedurally generate uh, terrain. And we have a special game board which is extra big for the D&D and Warhammer players. And you build this terrain, you can drag in monsters, you can put dungeons in, you can create your stories around your custom kind of holographic map. And the the cool thing about our system is it does occlusion perfectly. So you can have any blend of virtual miniatures on there. So your friends can be across the world playing D&D with you moving a virtual character around. Or you can sit there and have your real painted miniatures on the table and be surrounded. Wait,
0: wait, 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 wait. wait. Did, did I just miss something? Can I play Tilt Five remotely? So oh, yeah. you're in the Bay Area, I'm down here in LA and we can play Tilt Five together a game.
3: Yeah, yeah. Uh, That's our awesome. System... I had no idea you could do that
0: with Tilt Five.
3: Charlie, come on.
0: How you do, Charlie? <laughs> where yeah, yeah. where can I buy a tilt five? I want to get one.
3: So, um, oh, this is an exciting transition for the company. We've been selling so fast that we've been backordered. So we did a Kickstarter campaign. We were the largest ever AR project on Kickstarter a couple of years ago. And so that put us like at a deficit of units for the longest time. So last summer we started um, production and building. And so we were like, all right, we got to get the Kickstarter units out. So we got those out. And then in the meantime, we got backordered on pre-orders. And so we're just working and like demanding more capacity from the factory. Like, please build more for us. And, um, next month is our transition where we'll actually, someone can go to the website and click and get a unit within like a handful of days. Although we have a one player, uh, pack a two player pack, and a three player pack on there. We're already sold out of the three players. So, you know, if people, which is a, a really amazing testament like that was one of um the things we weren't sure of in the early days like are people going to buy these and play group sessions and um i forget what the exact number but it's it's around 47 percent of our customers are buying at least two headsets that's that's really cool and yeah I mean, and,
1: it's a testament to the fact that it's really social gaming that yeah. people want to multiplayer game experiences they can get that they can they can fill, fill that void in other ways with other devices. But the idea of sharing, as you talked about, you know, with D&D and, and Magic the Gathering and all those things is the idea of being with other people, right? So you're mm-hmm, tapping mm-hmm. that nerve and makes total sense to me that the bulk of people want to order more than one. <laughs> you know, it <laughs> so sense. I
3: was at CES, I was demoing to kind of one of the VR press out there Um, he would heard about us for a long time and his colleagues had seen it and said like, this is great, this is great. And he's like, I've been waiting so long to see this. And so we sat down and we were doing a demo. Um, Part of our software stack is we made it social just right out of the gate. So even single player games, if you plug in multiple headsets, you can spectate, Mm -hmm. right? So you don't have to build the game in any special way to spectate. You can pass controls around, do hot seat. So I'm sitting here with him and I'm running him through the demo and I'm wearing a pair of glasses and he's wearing glasses. I'm pointing to things like, all right, click that menu over there, move your piece over here. We're pointing. And um, it took him a second, like five minutes in. He's like, wait a minute. I've never experienced anyone like onboarding me like this and like actually pointing to something. I didn't realize how powerful that was until you know, after the awe of seeing the the uh, beautiful graphics faded, but um, yeah, so you can have any number of people, local and remote, play together. So, like this battle map studio I was describing, it, you can do network play on it as well. So, if your friends can't come over for your D and D game, you just log them in, and um, you can put virtual um, representations of your miniatures on there so we we did a d and d session at our office a few weeks ago, and it it lasted for about three hours and It was funny. one of the players um rolled real physical dice and it rolled towards their virtual character, and they kind of jumped a little bit and then they looked up at I was standing there, looked up at me, it's like, "I've never experienced that before like normally, when you roll your dice towards your miniature, you're gonna knock it over and you have this kind of visceral reaction, but it just like rolled right through the mm-hmm. character, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Well, we're headed toward the end of the show, Jerry. I, there were a couple more questions I wanted to ask, in addition to where people could buy it, because hopefully our our praise is uh, uh, filling the listeners with enthusiasm for the device. How much is it? Uh,
3: it's three hundred and fifty nine for your first unit that gets you all the accessories and stuff, and then in our one player and two player or two player and three player kits, three hundred dollars more per headset. And you can just go right to our website. You can click buy, and um, like I said, we're at this exciting point where we're only—if you buy now, and you're only a couple of weeks out to get it—and and we're getting to that point where you'll be able to click buy and just get it immediately, which is really exciting for us.
0: And how how are you getting the word out about it? Because hardware is so hard, not only because you have to hold inventory for a certain amount of time, but also because it is very hard to um, compete for people's attention.
3: Yeah. I mean, that's part of the reason we didn't spend a lot of money going to CES is it's a very noisy show. And if you don't have mega bucks to, to spend, which we don't, um, being a small startup, you're just drowned out. Um, we've also been in the situation where we've been backordered. So increasing our backlog hasn't been particularly, um, you know, important to us to get out there and market um, right away. But we do want to like you know, get funding going into the new year and do like series marketing. So people hear about it and we can start to scale up and more people have it, more people to play games with and yeah, more it's developers. A of,
1: it's a balance of when you market, you have to be prepared for the success of that marketing. And if you don't have the supply chain ready to actually fulfill it, it can actually be a failure point for your company, not a success point. So you're yeah, right. you don't want
3: to disappoint the end user. Uh, right. Good thing is we turn the corner on that. Things are, you know, fixed up on the supply chain manufacturing side. So now it's the perfect time to start to, as they say, throw gasoline on the fire and let it go. That's good. exciting.
0: Well, congrats. That's fantastic progress. Great news. Uh, really enjoyed having you back on the show. This is I always your-
3: love talking to you guys. You guys are so fun
0: you're 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 you know uh two-fifths of the way to a green jacket so we didn't we don't actually have green jackets so we make you a co-host then a virtual green jacket yes
3: hey whenever you're ready i'll don the green jacket
0: (laughs) all right thanks jerry thanks everybody that's our show this week um and uh have a great weekend